You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode of Pizza Quest is brought to you by Central Milling, hand-selected grain, expertly milled for passionate bakers. Central Milling is the farmer, the miller, and the baker working together to preserve American farmland for tomorrow while providing the highest quality flour and grains for the bakers of today. Dating back over 150 years, Central Milling is built on generations of knowledge, and they know that premium flour starts at the source. Employee-owned, Central Milling works directly with their farmers to sustainably grow grains that have exceptional flavor, nutrient content, color, and baking performance, which results in one of the largest selections of premium specialty flour and grains in the country. Hand-selected for the highest baking qualities, milled, cracked, or blended slowly to minimize heat generation, then bake-tested for performance. Learn more about Central Milling and their products at centralmilling.com. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt, back with you in 2024. This is actually our first show, the first show that we were recording in 2024. I'm very excited to have Anthony Mangieri with us. It's been a while since you've been with us, Anthony, and a lot's happened since we last talked. So we're going to, we want to catch up on all the stuff that's going on. I think the last time that you were on Pizza Quest, we talked about uh, the possibility of you going in, getting into some frozen, a whole line of frozen pizzas. Uh, and also we're dealing with pivoting during the COVID pandemic and all sorts of other things. And the other thing that's happened since then is you've been getting this incredible press, you know, pizza, the best pizzeria in, a, in the world kind of awards and all sorts of stuff like that. So tell us about your life, about what's going on for you and, and uh, you know, and how are things going? Uh, well, thanks. It's great to be back talking with you. You know, I love you. You and I have done a bunch of things over the years, including great. bailing me out of uh, having to talk at the Pizza Expo <laughs> more than once when I realized I didn't want to be up on stage alone. So always great to chat. Yeah, we came up with a very cool, like, uh, you know, yeah. interview format, which, was, yeah, which yeah. was really fun. Yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah, everything is great in my life. Um, just working as always, making pizza and uh, launched uh, the Frozen, as you uh, referenced, um, officially last February. So it's been almost a year. It was three years of R&D. Uh, had hoped to launch it actually before COVID. Um, and I was already doing the R&D then for it. But then with the COVID stuff, it slowed down my ability to uh, create the product because it is made in Italy. So that kind of put a little bit of a slowdown on that. So we so did that, launch that 
uh, a year ago. A year ago. So that product is actually manufactured and produced for you in Italy, not in the United States. Yes. Yeah. It's made in Italy with a partner of mine. Uh, I go over there every time we do a production run. I was actually just there last week from Sunday to Wednesday. Nice. Uh, so I go... I go over there and I and I run it like it's a, a very large scale pizzeria. That's amazing. Well, uh, uh, did it, did you already have that place lined up, or did it take? Was there a search to find the place that could produce for you? To a lot to of research. Session? A lot of research. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, and ultimately, you know, I landed on the idea of doing it in Italy only for the reason that I couldn't find anyone in the U.S. or Canada that understood what I wanted to produce at scale and also the availability of the ingredients at scale. Cause you know, I, I wanted to make sure that it was something that I could be proud of and that I wasn't embarrassed of and that tasted beautiful and clean and healthy. So just the ingredients that I needed to do that were mostly Italian, like we do at Una. So I just ended up having to do it in Italy. Well, you you have a lot at stake because you know now that you now that you are identified as one of the great pizzerias of the world, maybe the you know number one and on some list, uh, you, you know you your your customer base has high expectations, so you obviously don't want to let them down. Uh, what was the process like? Can you talk a little bit about how you do produce it over there? What and and how and how many are you making at a time? And how do people get them? Sure. Um, well, the process, I mean, you know, from the beginning of three years plus ago to now has been a lot of learn, um, a lot of uh, heartbreak, a lot of beautiful moments. It's very tough, very, very tough business. It's, in my opinion, probably tougher than the restaurant business, which is already kind of a nightmare. Um, and I think some of the reasons behind that is, you know, when you're in the restaurant business, you have that immediate connection with your customer. So they come in, you make a product, you give it to them and hopefully they love it. And it's that, that's the transaction. Yeah. This is not the case. There's so many steps between the creation of the product. And when it finally ends up in somebody's home kitchen in like, you know, the middle of America or California or Florida or wherever it ends up. Um, so just learning to navigate that pathway to get it to that end user is, is very complicated and it's fraught with a lot of difficulties and a lot of people who, quite frankly, don't care about food, which is the other thing that I think is tough for any restaurant guy or chef when they get into the CPG, consumer package, good world, and having to realize like, oh, these people that I'm selling to, the buyers, the the head people, the distributors, they may not really care about food or may not really know about food. So it becomes more of a commodity and a business yeah. and a numbers game. So that's been really tough because, you know, for me, the product, you know, was a lot of a lot of hard work and a lot of love. And I'm using my hopefully my 30 years of knowledge of making pizza every day of my life to try to make something that I think is really great. Um, so that's kind of where we're at with that. I don't know what else I could, if you want. Well, I can tell you, I know from my own experience, the challenges of doing a frozen pizza, you know, is number one, you know, the manufacturing itself. How do you produce it in a way that pr protects the integrity of the product? Totally. The product? Frozen pizza category is getting more and more crowded every day. So you got to find your way into that. You have already have, had a reputation, although it's not coming out under the Una Pizza Nap Napolitana brand. It's what's the brand that that people will right. like? 
Right. So the brand is called Genio Della Pizza. Genio. N-I-O. Um, not Genco. Not Genco, like in The Godfather. Not <laughs> like, the, like The Godfather. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Although my daughter's name is Apollonia, and that's not because of The Godfather. Holy that, was cow. Great, that was my great-grandmother's name. Um, uh, no such no, thing as a coincidence, right? <laughs> there's no coincidences. You know, there's a reason for everything, I think, yeah. somewhere along the way. Um no, I mean, I named it Genio Della Pizza because, uh, again, like, you know, I'm riding on 30 years of, like, people thinking and expecting certain things of me. And, you know, I wanted to do frozen pizza for the reason that I've made this decision over my lifetime to not open and have more than one restaurant. I want to be in the restaurant. I want to make every dough ball, which I still do. If I'm not making the dough, the restaurant is not open. So these decisions have all been made, you know, with my deep thinking to continue this path that I'm on. And so along that, I obviously realized like there's a lot of limitations to that in regards to growth. So for years and years, I had been thinking like, is there something that we could do that would be able to connect with people on a bigger scale, use my knowledge? Yeah. And just have something going that's not just resulting in me touching every single dough ball, which is so limiting and so restrictive, which, again, is my choice. Because if you're coming into Una for me, and this is not against any other restaurant or anybody, but for me personally, I just feel that if you're coming in there, I feel such an obligation and it's such a privilege to have people spend their time and money coming into the restaurant with the choices and the opportunities that are out there now that like, I have to be there. I just can't not be there and not be the one making the dough and not be the one involved in every part of it. So but that well, being said, no, go ahead. Let's, let's talk more about that. Before, and we'll come back to the frozen beach in a second. Cause I want to get into Cause I know that when I saw you the last time I actually saw you in person in New York at, I don't know, before the pandemic, we, I brought a group in and, um, uh, and things were happening there and you, you were so busy, you weren't making every pizza yourself. You had, you had a couple of really, you know, talented people working for you. And then you were also working on opening a place in Jersey. Exactly. Uh, and so you couldn't be in two places at once. So, so having that experience, did that draw, sort of like drive you back to the, I want to get back to doing every pizza myself mode? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think during that period, which lasted about a year, um, probably like a little little more than a year up to the pandemic was when I was going through that phase, that transitional era of like, let me try to open another restaurant. Um, it took about a year. I still made the dough every day. So all the dough that was being served in New York City, I was making. But I do have two guys that still work with me and they're amazing and super talented and I love them and you know, and they work with me every night. And usually the way we work at the at the counter is, well, first of all, I make all the dough. No one makes the dough in a restaurant. But then in the evening when we're actually making the pizzas for the customers, there's three of us, one on the oven, one person opening the dough, and then all of us topping the pizza. And uh -huh. it's the same two guys that have been with me for six years, no one else. Um, so I'm I'm not opposed to that that phase of growth for me. But my hand and my ideas and me making the dough still needs to be completely a hundred percent involved. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, so that's so important. That's a value in a sense. It's a pillar. There's a few things I think for Una that like 
are like just these pillars that will never change. And then things evolve. I mean, obviously, if we go back to when I started Una and I made all the dough as I do now, but I also opened every pizza, topped every pizza and baked every pizza alone. I also at one point didn't even have servers and I used to serve the pizza as well. Um, So, I mean, we can't. You are a one man band. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We can't go back that far um, and and have me even be able to do that physically. I am 52 years old and have a kid and, and you know, trying to keep my life together. Um, But yeah, I think during that era, and then when I opened the place in New Jersey, right as soon as I opened it, two weeks later, the pandemic hit. So I closed New York and then I had one again. And then I actually went back to making all the dough opening all the pizza, topping all the pizza, working completely alone again. I did that for about a year. Then I brought my two guys down with me that are still with me so they could have, you know, their life still and work and health insurance and all that stuff. Um, But I think during that time in New Jersey and having to think and make a decision, am I going to come back and reopen 12th Street uh, or not 12th Street, uh, Orchard Street? um, what is that going to look like? And as I thought about that during that time and while Orchard was closed, I made the decision then that like, if I came back and I reopened Orchard, I'm doing it three days a week, doing some private events during the week. And I'm going back to the roots of the way I always did things. And that's how I want to ride my career out. I mean, you know, at a certain point in life, I think you also come to a conclusion that like, you know, you got to lean into your strengths and be who yeah. you are. It's like, you know, I think of it as like when you're young and you're trying to fit in at the high school dance and you don't, at a certain point when you're older, you're like, you know what? I just don't fit in. I don't care. And that's kind of how I feel about the way I run the restaurant. It's like the restaurant is, you know, it's everything to me. It's my, yeah. it's my, it's the most stable part of my life for 30 years. It's, it's, who I am. It's what I think yeah. about. It. I think about it when I go to bed at night. I think about it when I wake up. It's basically the manifestation of your soul in action. Pretty much. Yeah, it is. It truly is. And I'm fortunate mm-hmm. enough to slowly have curated a group of people around me that are on the same train. And we have a small group like my two guys, Shane and Sean, that have, again, been with me and I love them and they care and are dedicated and I feel like they're going to be with me, you know, until they want to do their own thing or maybe until the end of the road, you know, until we, this thing doesn't exist anymore. Um, And then I have a small team for the front of the house that like slowly, you know, we go through people and we keep trying to find people that really understand what it's all about and understand how to give love back to the customers and, and really approach everything in there with a lot of gratitude. That's interesting because that's the hardest thing to find are people who care as much as you care to work for you. I mean, it's yeah. just, that's the rarest employee of all. Yeah, it truly is. <laughs> real, it's really, truly a gift. And it needs to be, when you find that, it needs to be cared for and cultivated and supported. So we're still a few years away from this, but at, at, at another phase of your life, you're going to reach the point where you go, you know what? I can't be out there every day making the dough. I have to pass it on or fold it down. And it sounds like at least you've got the opportunity if you've got, in a sense, protégés or people that you feel, you know, get it, that there's a chance that you could keep it going and take a different role. I mean, someone like Chris Bianco has had to make that decision, for instance, and move into another role as the padrone, in a sense, as opposed to the the artist in making the pizzas. Do you foresee that as a possibility? 
I don't see that now, but that's <laughs> I'm still so physically a part of everything. And I kind of approach my life in an athletic way and I'm very clean living. And I really spend a lot of time making sure that like I'm strong. Um, so I don't see that now. And I don't want to think about it because I don't want to give myself that window yeah. because so I mean, not, it's not, not on a five year or 10 year plan. Totally. Or something like that. totally. Because I'll tell you, like anyone that's ever worked making pizza in a pizzeria, like it is grueling. It is physically, physically grueling. I mean, on the days that we're open, I'm in there from between eight or nine in the morning until midnight, nonstop without sitting down prepping, making dough, prepping ingredients, and then making 140 or 150 pizzas until we sell yeah. out. I mean, I have to be completely honest. Every single night that we're open by about eight o'clock, I'm just like, holy moly, this yeah. sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I want to go home and take a bath and eat a snack. It's so, like you are you are living the 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 story that they're telling on the bear uh, of, of, of a life. I don't know. I haven't seen that world. show, but I... Um, from what I hear, maybe. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just a lot, you know, so I, I <laughs> wait a minute, I, you're a TV star and you're on right. You haven't seen the bear. <laughs> no, I met the fellow that wrote it though. He came in to eat and he's lovely. That's, are you still doing TV? Are you still on, on uh, billions? Uh, they stopped shooting it. So uh, oh, it's finished. I thought that yeah, was still going. Yeah. It finished. For people who don't know, we talked about this last time. You, you were a recurring character. I think in a few episodes you played yourself, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. A lot of people, when that was going on, yeah would be like, man, who's the new pizza guy they have on Billions? This guy is like the worst actor ever. And people would be like, he's not an actor. He's actually a pizza guy. Because the old guy that used to play the pizza maker was a great actor and literally did not know anything about making pizza. I met him and hung out with him, and he had no clue on pizza making, as I had no clue on acting. (laughs) But still, another little, a fun little digression in your life. In a crazy life, I'll tell you. But things that open up, you know, so the, yeah. so the fact that, you know, even coming full circle and realizing I really want I do. I'm not ready to let go of making the dough and being in control of everything and connecting with directly with my customers. That's still a driving force for you. Absolutely. Yeah, <clears throat> it really is. I mean. It's you know, it's it's my happy place. Until I get to eight o'clock and then I want to go. As hard as it is, it's still your happy. It is. It is. There's never a day in complete transparency. There's never a single day that I don't wake up in the morning and I'm not excited or feel like today is the day that I'm finally going to get this right. Wow. So maybe, you know, when that goes away, God forbid, if it ever does, then I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm done or I'm not going to be there every day. I don't care. But I don't feel that, you know, I feel like, honestly, you know, a lot of people even joke with me like, man, are you such a control freak that like you have to be there? You can't let these two guys who know how to make pizza really great just do it without you. And I'm like, dude, it's not about the control freak. It's about that every single day and every night and every dough ball. I'm always like, man, it's it's all practice. We were joking about it on the line last uh, on Saturday night me and one of my guys about like practice. It's really just essentially like every single night is practice. I don't know what the hell I'm practicing for or where the end game is going to finally be, but I feel like everything is just this. Okay. Today's going to like today. I think I figured it out and then it doesn't come out the way I want. And I'm in a bad mood and I'm stressed out and the guys get stressed out 
and we get through it and we get done and we go home. And then the next day it's like, all right, today is going to be the day. And this might also add into why I'm always changing things and changing the dough. And I just ordered a new mixer. That'll be here in a few weeks. I've gone, I swear to God, I've tried every mixer on earth and I don't think it has anything to do with the mixer, but for me, it's just another place to put that thought of like, okay, maybe if I tried this and this, <clears throat> I'd finally lock it in to a way where it's just consistently exactly what I want. Are you and still building your own oven? Huh? Are you still building your own oven? No, no, no. I haven't done that since forever. It's no, I use a, I use a one oven from Naples for years and years and years. And, yeah. and generally that's like a non-issue for me. That's other than like the wood, the wood in that is a whole nother story. That's like, you could spend the rest of your life just changing woods and cut sizes and you have a completely different product. So the variables and the nuances that exist within making pizza, I think is also probably why it's so great of a job to be able to just stay in and keep coming back at every day. We're like, today's the day, today's the day. Cause there's not a lot of things in the food world. I think where, you're making a product, especially the way we do it. I mean, you think about some of the pillars that we have at Una that have been since 1996 to today. Never refrigerated, never. The dough is never proofed in a refrigerator. It's always room temperature proof. Always naturally leavened, no commercial yeast. Those two things are consistent since almost 30 years of being in business. Already those two things, and as you know better than anybody, if you're dealing with a sourdough and it's naturally and it's proofed at room temp, you're dealing with some crazy variables. Right. If you're trying to have that dough hold and sustain from when you start and open at five until you finish the last pizza at 10 or 1030, you're dealing every 15 minutes throughout that course. It's a completely different product you're dealing with. Right. And if you have the oven, which is doing whatever it wants, because it's 100% fired with only wood. So these things are such, there's so many variables. I just don't know what else in food has that many variables that you're fighting against to try to create a consistent product? Well, it's like flying on a trapeze without a net and, and uh, you know, one, one slip and the, the dough is out of control or whatever. Yeah. And so it brings up the question, Anthony, of, you know, consistency and knowing that maybe not every day is the pizza going to be exactly the same as it was the day before the temperatures could be different uh how how much you've learned over the years to control and and adjust to changes in circumstances is part of your consistency but but uh, you know do you, how do you how do you feel about kind of being in that realm of uh that every day might be different and my customers have to kind of live with that yeah well i mean my guys call it the mangiri effect uh, <laughs> well, that's is, good. yeah a little bit of that could be the title of your new book <laughs> yeah, so they they always joke because I've also taken them to Italy with me, and they've witnessed my hundred percent chaos of like trying to do way too much in a day. Um, no, I mean I think that that is very true, and I think that's sort of where we live at with with what we do at Una is that inconsistency. I would say it's almost like you know a great uh, friend and you know inspiration to me is um, this fellow who is a bicycle builder named Richard Sachs. And I love this guy and I love what he stands for. And I love his work. It's incredible. And one of the lines that he came up with years ago that I love is uh, it's the um, imperfection is perfection, which is in a sense with us, with the inconsistency is 
consistent. But mm-hmm. I think that, it, you know, that's a tricky imperfection is perfection or however you want to put it. I think that that, that is something that can only be used when you know what you're doing. This is, yeah. so, you know, I'm not a fan or a supporter of people who don't have any skill and go around being like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And I opened a business and it's all crap. Isn't that cool? It's like, no, that's not cool. (laughs) Like, guess what? John Coltrane knew how to play within the time and within the chord changes before he was playing free jazz. Like there needs to be a foundation and a skill set and a knowledge. Then you start to push outside of that. That's true. And in all the art forms. Yeah. And every every kind of was. He could have exactly. could have been a successful portrait artist. He was so exactly. good at real stuff and to exactly. allow him to go free. Exactly. Like I think the trickiest thing and the the dangerous place to go as a as a person is to look at a Picasso and be like, look at that. I could do that. It's like, man, there's a long way from where he started to get to that. And I think it's the same in every walk of life and in every kind of work. And so for us my stress and my inconsistency and all the concerns that I have at the restaurant, I hope at least still within that chaos of like, Oh, the dough is too hydrated. It proved too hot. The room's too warm. The wood's not working right. The cheese is too wet, whatever the heck's going on. That's freaking us out. I've been making pizzas since I'm 15 years old and I'm 52 and it's my only job I've ever done. Mm -hmm. So I would hope that by now, that I'm able to keep all that chaos within a within a guardrail of like it's still good, it's still enjoyable, it's still a good dining experience. It's still yeah. something that when you eat it, hopefully it's still wonderful and you know it's hopefully inspiring in some way. I think my idea and what I search for is consistency of of kind of feeling like man i really figured out how to make the dough exactly the way i want it every day and it stays that way and it just never does or i finally figured out how to make the oven be perfect but maybe these are such minute fluctuations that a lot of people might not even know that that's happening even people that work in the restaurant that are our yeah. servers might not know that like me and my guys are really stressed because whatever's going on, but then we're having them run pizzas all night and they don't even notice that anything's different. And that'll be the night too, where customers will come up and be like, man, the pizza's amazing tonight. And I'm dying inside where I want to just go home and hide. But so these are, these are tiny, tiny little fractions of differences that create things that are magical to the trained eye when it's all you think about and all you focus on. But it sounds like you're still, you're still getting a buzz you know, from riding that, that bike, you know, being them and finding the balance in every moment with every variation that gets thrown at you and kind of dodging the bullets and, and, and adjusting, you know, on the fly, that's all part of the buzz. Totally. I mean, it's all like just part of the skill set too, that you develop. There's something satisfying when you've spent your life doing one thing and focusing on it and you're still not bored of it. Like, for example, and this isn't about make actually making dough or whatever, but like two weeks ago on a Friday night, we open at five at like five oh five. I take a dough ball. I set it on the table on the counter. I go to open it and I felt a drop of water. And I was like, what the heck? I opened it, slid it over, grab another one, put it down, open more water. And I'm like. And I look up and water is starting to drip from the ceiling. And I'm like, oh my God. And I, one of my guys turns around and is like, ah, I'm like, there's water dripping. 
within a few minutes, it was coming down. Oh my God. So then I moved what we were doing down a little bit, mm-hmm. coming more. It worked its way across the entire counter. Within 15 or 20 minutes, the entire pizza counter, including the glass on the front, was getting hit with water. Eventually, it worked its way out to the row of tables in front of us. We ended up, I grabbed the wooden board. I put it on the side. I moved everything over to the corner. We were holding the peel up in the air. I literally, this thing was like the most makeshift pizza making operation you've ever seen. We moved everybody from that row. This went on for like two hours. We ended up having to get the fire department in. Somebody above us left their sink running. It got clogged and they went out and it flooded and started coming through. We finally got it stopped. But even that, I was like left there that, and we sold out. And I left there, to, and the pizzas came out as good as normal. Yeah. And, and the people like, are going, wow, one of your best days. <laughs> right. That's 30 years of experience right there where you're like, okay, the ceiling's about to collapse. We're staying open. You it know, like that. Like- that's also part of the the just the repetition and the skill that you build is where it's yeah. like, you know, I can make pizza anywhere now. I can come to your house and I'll figure out how to do it. It's like these are things that get built in from just doing the same thing every day where you are so in it that you can – kind of weave your way around all the obstacles that can come up. What I thought of when you were describing that is, you know, it's like you were describing improv theater, uh, you know, and the audience is throwing out suggestions and you kind of figure it all out. And, yeah, but, and, well, the, and the guiding principle in improv is that you always have to say yes. You say yes, yeah. you and you go on the yes. And, and essentially you're still in that yes mode. Okay, throw me a leaky ceiling, but I'm still going to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. It's like there's no stopping us. The show must go on. That's it. Well, that's it. And it's great that even after 30 years of uh being in production, that you're, you know, that that you're not tired of it yet. So you kind of described all of that, I think, you know, really beautifully. Uh let's get back to the frozen. So, you know, you've been, you know, living in kind of two worlds now. And I lived a little bit in the in, in in the frozen pizza world too, and I know the challenges that it takes to create a great product to your satisfaction. What are some of the things that are different about your frozen pizza from the Una Pizza Napolitana pizza? Well, I think the probably the biggest <clears throat> biggest difference is the hydration. Um, you just cannot go the distance with hydration like you can in a restaurant. On frozen. I mean, most people don't use the hydration that we use in the restaurant either in their own restaurants. We've had plenty of pizza makers come in and try to handle our dough and they they're going nowhere with it. So Can you say, are you are you allowed to say free to say what, what level of hydration you do work at at the restaurant? I think at the restaurant, the I mean, geek out on that. right. I would say like the hydration level is probably like 80 okay. percent. But this is you know, this is. I know some people are like, oh, it's 100. We do this. We do that. I'm like, yeah, but if you make 100% hydration and stick it in a refrigerator for 48 hours, when you go to work that dough, it's a completely different animal than making a 75 or an 80 or an 85% hydrated dough that's never been chilled. It's a completely different animal. It's very, yeah. very difficult to deal with. So back to the frozen though, like, so that was probably the, the toughest thing for me was like trying to find a way to get the dough to be what I wanted it to be and no yeah. limitations because all the dough that I make uh, for frozen is all hand stretched. Most of the ingredients on it are topped by hand. The basil leaves are put on by hand. It's Italian tomatoes, buffalo mozzarella, fresh basil, extra virgin olive oil, naturally leavened dough, wood fire baked. It's got all the, all the, all the marks checked. 
that well, I would. So the, this is a production facility where they're hand stretching. They're not running it through exactly. rollers or pressers or exactly. anything else. Exactly. And it's, and it's getting baked in wood fired ovens. Exactly. Which is extremely difficult. Like I said, I was over there this past week and, you know, we ended up having to donate, I think, about 4,000 pizzas um, because the bottoms were not baking right because it's wood fired. And wow. there's just a lot of variables. And the dough also fluctuates like it would in a pizzeria on the time of the year, on the day, the way it hydrated, mm-hmm. the humidity outside, everything that you would expect to deal with in a pizzeria, we're dealing with on a much, much larger scale. Um, so I think the hydration is tough. And then just, you know, the other tough part is me just not being able to have complete control over every aspect yeah. of it. Because again, That's it's a big part. obviously yeah. so much that we're producing. And, you know, and again, that was purposeful. You know, when I decided to do this, I had no illusion to be like, all right, I'm going to make these in Una and flash freeze them and we'll do a hundred a week and we'll sell them in the corner bodega. It's going to be great. I was like, if I'm doing this, I'm spending the time and I'm going to figure out how to make something that I love and that I'm proud to eat. And my kid wants to eat and my pizza makers eat at lunch because it's awesome. And it's not Una, but it's 30 years of what I know from Una yeah. put into something that's frozen and super scalable. Mm-hmm. So I think of it as like an artisan product that's scalable. But I wanted to do the time ahead before it launched, which took partially why it took so long because I kept changing it because uh-huh. I wanted to get it to a place where I was like, this is as good as I can get it right now. And it's it's not limited in scale. So like you can call me up and say, hey, I own Whole Foods. We want 100,000 of these a month. And I can be like, no problem. Got it. And when I send you those 100,000 a month, you're not going to get them and be like, this is not what we sampled. What is this? Uh-huh. I only could sample you what I was flash freezing at Una. And now I'm scaling and it's garbage. Instead, I wanted to make sure that what I came out with was already the lowest it would ever be in quality. And we would only raise from there as we even get better and learn and understand more. So everything that I launched with, you know, the week that we launched last February, that week, the New York Times did a blind taste test on frozen pizzas. Uh-huh. We were voted number one. Um, so that and uh-huh. that's as bad as it's getting. So the idea was what I launch. This is the this is the bottom of the bar. Like we're only going to yeah. go from there. What we're learning here is is the the challenges of going from a handcrafted you know live restaurant setting to a frozen product, trying to check off the boxes to to have a quality level that you can live with that meets your standards, and it never kind of fluctuates to where your customers are going to go. That's not what I signed on for what I was expecting. And you also, uh, you mentioned in, in the last segment, you threw out as an example, Whole Foods. Is that the place where people can go and actually taste this pizza? Yeah, yeah. So we've been fortunate. You know, we've found, we've, we have found and continue to find some partners in the retail side of things that love, you know, things like this and support it. So we're available in Whole Foods in two regions. So you can get it in most Whole Foods from Maine, all the way down through to New Jersey. Uh, you can get it national on GoPuff, which has been an amazing partner. And they're like in places as far as Texas and Colorado and Indiana and California and Florida, you can get it. Um, and that's great. We're available through Gold Belly. And then we're in a bunch of cool, smaller chains, like in California, we're in Lassen's, Nugget, 
Bristol Farms, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, in New York, we're in a bunch of stores from like Brooklyn Fair. In New Jersey, we're going to be in ShopRite, which is amazing. That's where I grew up shopping as a little kid. Yeah. Pretty amazing. The can-can sale. Um, I don't know if you ever saw those commercials, but that was big for anyone from New Jersey and like the city. No, because I was I was in Philly and we didn't you know, and we didn't get this the the Jersey you know except for South Jersey we didn't get the Northern Jersey stuff you know so. yeah yeah so so we're there and and then just building from there you know I think hopefully 2024 is going to be a really strong year for Genio and we keep getting better at what we're doing and understanding how to navigate this this uh kind of path to to the customer through retail. Do you have any outlets down in where I am in North Carolina? Um I'm not sure. I think we may be in one or two. I think you can get us on GoPuff down there though. Okay. So if I want to and there's a website, right, that people can go to if they want to go wherever they're listening from. Exactly. They can go to your website and find out where to find exactly. You, you can go to our Instagram, Genio Della Pizza, or our website, Genio Della Pizza, and on there you'll find a store locator. And I have a really small team that is very dedicated that works with me on Genio that you can also email if you have any questions or or if there's a store you want to have it in near you, by all means, go to the store and ask. Because as crazy as that sounds, that still is a great way to open up a store. If most stores get a couple of requests from a customer. They'll end up reaching out and be like, hey, we want to bring in Genio. We've had a bunch of people asking for it. So that grassroots movement still works. Yeah, still word of mouth is still the best way. Totally. Uh, I meant to ask this earlier when you were talking about making these in Italy. Where in Italy is the manufacturing facility? In uh, northern Italy. Up north, huh? Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because, you know, we most people think automatically, they think, you know, southern Italy, uh, yeah. you know, Panya or something like that, but you're up north. But that's where more, than, more of the manufacturing happens is up there. That's the case, yeah. Most of the uh, industry in Italy is in the northern part of Italy. And since you only go over, you know, periodically, what is it, once a month or whenever you go over, how do you- I'm going right now about once every month and a half to two months. How do you, um, I know being as as much of a control freak as you are in terms of wanting it to be at a certain standard, how do you guarantee uh, quality assurance when you can't be there? And how, and how do you have peace of mind about that? Well, we haven't done that yet. So every time we do a production run, I go over there. So we try to- figure out our, our cadence and our velocity. And we're still figuring that out so that we are always importing containers of product that are getting us through our orders. And then we're kind of on a month and a half, two month cycle of importing. So, so you're not producing right every single containers. day. It's, huh? it's not like every day you're producing, no, you're no, producing no, no. In batches and then coming exactly, back to exactly. another batch. Exactly. Okay, we well, take over a line in the in the facility and we run our products on that line. And then that way also what's nice about that and helps with consistency of the product is then all the people working that day are familiar with our product. And it's the same people on the line for the entire shift. And I'm there and we all start. So everyone there and all the managers there know me now. So when I'm there, they're all like, oh, the annoying, the annoying American guy's back. Um, this is well, so that facility, obviously, in order to make their thing work, they must have other clients like you who they're co-packing for. Definitely. Definitely. They, they, uh, produce for other people all over the world. Um, I think they, uh, have said to me and realized like, I'm the only one who's ever been over there and is actually first a pizza maker. And secondly, really there with the idea of, obviously I want to make money doing this and hopefully, you know, someday I sell this thing to Nestle and 
I retire and then I have the pizza reopen one day a week. But in the meantime, before making the decision on like, how do we cut corners and save 50 cents on a skew? I go over there and I'm like, how do we make the pizza better? And they don't really have anyone else that goes over there and is like that. No one is in the factory worrying about all that stuff. So I don't approach it like a CEO or a founder when it comes time to produce the product. I approach it as Anthony, the guy who has Una for 30 years. Are you going to be um, able to continue scaling up as the demand grows and more Whole Foods on other regions? For instance, my Whole Foods down here doesn't have it yet. But when they want it, uh, are you going to have to go over more or will you be put a team in place there I think, yeah, I think as we grow, I mean, it's hard to say right now. I think if we grow the way we see it growing, I think for now we can continue the way we are. We can just produce more um, because there's really no limits to how much we can produce. We're definitely not producing the the full capacity of a day's run. So I think what we would do is we would just produce more while I'm there and that would cover us for the cycle that we're in. And we just keep getting better at that. And that, and ultimately too, that's good because then there's less waste. There's less shrinkage in the warehouse side of things where we end up having products sitting in our warehouse in America. And maybe some of it doesn't get sold in time and then it expires. So it's better to kind of do like these one and a half to two month, you know, shipments so that the stuff is always fresh and it gets into the U.S. and it has a nice shelf life. And also then we're not paying for storage in the U.S. for a lot of product. Well, when somebody brings one of your pizzas home from from the market, it's, is it already fully baked? Is it par baked? Is it how do they reheat it? So it's fully baked. Um, to give you an idea, this pizza when we make it in Italy and it comes out of a wood fired oven, I eat them right out of the oven, and I swear it's equal to some of the best pizza I've had in the U.S. Then it oh. gets frozen, and you know it slightly becomes a different product, and that's that. And that's all we can do. So I bake it so that it's pretty much fully cooked. What you have to, I wouldn't say just defrost it and eat it. You could, but it probably wouldn't be very enjoyable. Yeah. What you do is there's two ways you can do it. If you're in a rush, you just take it out of your freezer, put it in any kind of oven. I've had people be like, oh, do I need a wood-burning oven? I'm like, no, no, this is for like- You already had that. It's already been in the Exactly. Exactly. So all you got to do is put it in anything, a toaster oven, your home oven, anything, middle rack, 450 bake it till it's done and i say bake it till it's done obviously we have a time on the back of the box but what i would say for folks listening is cook it to where you want it cooked some people like it really crispy and super dark leave it in some people like it softer more napolitana style take it out as soon as it's warm whatever you want within that that you can do um if you want to have it come out even a little bit better for me personally i like to let it uh, thaw a little bit and come to room temperature before I bake it. Cause then you're shortening your baking time in your home oven. Cause it's then now it's already pretty much baked at our co-packer. And now it's also not frozen. So all the ingredients going into your home oven are going to be softer, right. the cheese, everything, and it'll mm-hmm. cook faster and more evenly. And then the final little touch on it that I like to do is when it comes out of the oven, add a little bit of your favorite olive oil and a little coarse sea salt and forget it. It's amazing. And they're great uh, platforms to doctor up also after the fact. Like we have a marinara, which is the usual marinara, tomato, oregano, garlic, and olive oil, no cheese. That one for me, like I take it out, we put anchovies on it 
or take it out and put some grated pecorino on it. It's incredible. You mean you do that at home? You do that after the rebake? Yeah, after the rebake. And then we I have see. a Bianca, which you can, when you take out of the oven, um, we put arugula on it and maybe some sun-dried tomatoes. Like, they're amazing platforms because they're very, very clean, you know? Wow. What a learning curve you've been on for the last few oh, years. Oh, man. It's so crazy. When I get back into Una, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is so nice. <laughs> It's like you say you have your your whole life has been, you know, being a pizza maker, but really you have two careers. You've got your restaurant career and then yeah. this is no, I have business. two I have two full-time serious jobs now, which you know obviously is wearing me down a little bit, but it's worth it. Um, you know, I mean, I'm the CEO and founder of Genio, and like I said, I have some full-time employees that are dedicated and you know, it's a serious undertaking. And then I have Una, obviously, which is my bread and butter, my passion, life's work, which we have a pretty large staff for the front of the house there now as well. And fortunately, super busy. So for the five people who are listening, who, who don't know about Una Pizza Napolitana, uh, where are you located? This is not your first original location. This is your your most recent location after you left New York, went to San Francisco, came back to New York. And 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 so if people want to find you because they're in New York, uh, where do they go? Uh, we're located at 175 Orchard Street in the Lower East Side between Houston and Stanton, right around the corner from Katz's and Russ and Daughters. Ah, okay. And so and do you need a reservation to get a table? You do. Yeah, we have a, a thousand people a night on the wait list. And the resis are wow. usually taken within one minute of going live every two weeks. We do save a little room for walk-ins. So if you want to do a walk-in, I suggest getting there maybe a little bit quite a bit before five o'clock when we open and we try to do our best to accommodate. You're becoming the rowels of, of the Lower East Side. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Someone has to die for them for you to get a table there. You know? Yeah. No, we're really fortunate. I mean, it's crazy because it's pretty amazing to be 30 years into this yeah. and mm -hmm. feel like we're really at our best, which is amazing. Like I really, truly in all my heart, feel that this iteration of Una Pizza Napolitana is the best it's ever been. It's the most beautiful. The service is the best. The hospitality is the best. The pizzas are as good as ever. The music is cool. Like, I just think like we are firing on all cylinders right now in that place. It's pretty, pretty epic. What's exciting for me in hearing all of this is that, again, after 30 years where most people are fried you know, you're you're you still got a fire burning in your belly about all this. Mental you're illness. I did about it. What's that? I said that's a lot of mental illness. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but it's passion, and it's and and the fact no. that you're still that you're still you know excited about it. You're still yeah, no. You're still in your heart of heart an artisan who gets joy out of creating something to that somebody else gets to eat. Well, I mean, I think I have to be really grateful for that. You know, it's a gift. It's a gift that I get to do this. It's a gift that people come in. Mm. I mean, it's all just like a lot of gratitude. And I'm super, I don't, I don't take any of it lightly. Well, I really appreciate you coming on again because, you know, we, every time I, uh, it never gets old talking to you because it's not getting old for you. You, you are, no. you're not, you know, you, you're, you still look as young as when we first met. It's oh, somehow God, this is keeping you young. Even though you're getting the ages are the the years are adding up, but you're still young at heart, and uh, and I'm glad to hear that you're keeping yourself in great shape. Obviously, you have to to do what you do, and um, congratulations on all this growth. I can't wait to get my hands on on the Genio Pizza. Jenny, again, we'll say for the for the listeners, 
Jenny Odella pizza. Yeah. <clears throat> this weather's getting my throat. Uh, Jenny Odella pizza. Um, you can find you on Instagram, find you. You got the website is also Jenny yeah, Odella, Jenny Odella pizza. pizza. And then, and then they can write to write for more information at what info at Jenny Odella pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Once they get on there, they'll find all that. Track, track it down. Um, and uh, next, by the next time I talk to you, uh, hopefully I will have tasted one so I can have a reference point. Um, awesome. Will you be coming to Pizza Expo or is it, are you too busy to go to that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I have so many events now that I have to do for Genio. Like tomorrow I'm doing a, a, a Genio tasting at the Food Network. Oh, I nice. Bon Appetit and I have one at Vice and like we're, then we're going to do some different little festivals and stuff. So I'm between that and then what I'm doing with Una, it's like, I don't think I'll make it out there this year. Maybe if, if I can swing it for a day, if I do, it would be just to walk it and hang out. I wouldn't be uh, like in yeah. anybody's booth or anything like that. Well, if you do come out, we'll be there uh, recording po podcasts live from the floor. Uh, so awesome. let me know if you're there, text me and uh, you know, we'd love to have you do a drop in just to say hi from the, from cool. there. But, uh, but it sounds like you got your hands full. You and, uh, yes. and, and uh, again, success breeds more success. Uh, you just keep staying healthy, stay strong. And uh, thank you for all you're doing. You're an inspiration to a lot of people and you've set new bars, new standards. We haven't even talked about the fact that you were really one of the first guys that brought naturally leavened, you know, quote, sourdough pizza to into the pizza community. Now it's becoming a thing, right? Everybody's doing it and certain things are becoming a thing. And, uh, uh, like I said, uh, we were talking earlier about New Jersey is becoming a thing, right? New Jersey's always had great pizza, but now it's being rediscovered. And uh, right now, I think Jersey pizza is one of the hot new trends. And even though it's an old trend, it's it's hot. And we've got one of our most popular places down here in Charlotte is uh, Gino D's Jersey pizza, you know, and, and <laughs> nice. so it's a brand. Jersey is now a brand. <laughs> who would have ever thunk that? I know. And all I wanted back, to do was get out of there when I was a kid. <laughs> right. And think back 30 years ago when you were making pizzas in Jersey, then moving to New York, you know, yeah, yeah, totally. and all that's transpired since totally. then. So good for you. Congratulations. Thank you again for joining us and sharing all of this story with, with our listeners and followers. And, uh, and uh, thank you for tuning in everybody. We will see you on the next episode of pizza quest. Thanks, Anthony. Thank Have a you. great rest of the week, and uh, hopefully I'll get up to New York and see you in person. I hope so. Thank you. Pizza Quest is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.